Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 109, preview of the Women's Euros. So the Women's Euros are starting today as I record. Actually, the opening match is in 20 minutes, so I'm going to have to make sure I wrap this up before that gets going. I'm really, really excited about this. The women's game just gets bigger and bigger with every single competition that goes by. The last Euros in Holland were a smash. The Dutch showed everybody what local fandom for the women's game can look like, and they were outstanding. Then you had the 2019 World Cup. I went and attended, and I thought it was fantastic just seeing the way the game is growing so, so quickly. And as a youth coach for young girls, it's so exciting to hear as well that some of the players that I coach are actually in England, will be seeing some games. This is going to be just a massive step forward for the women's game. And honestly, it's going to be a really good competition. In some ways, better than the World Cup. It's a little bit little bit smaller, a little bit thinner of a, of a body of teams. And so I, I think you'll just see quality games almost every single time. Very few blowouts, I imagine. It's going to be a great, great, great month. So England are the hosts. The first game, the opening match, which is going to be at Old Trafford, Manchester United's home. Now, strangely enough, this is the only match of the competition that will be at Old Trafford, and only one will be at Wembley, and that's the final. The rest are at different stadiums around the country, Brighton, Brentford, uh, Wigan and Leigh, and the strange one, I think to most people, is the Manchester City Academy. Now, this is where the Manchester City women play their matches, and they've hosted Champions Leagues and you know FA Cups and different things like that there, but... It's only 4,700-seater stadium. And unfortunately for the members of Group D, those teams, so Italy, uh, Belgium, they will actually have to play th- two games in of their three group games in this stadium, which is unfortunate because it's a very, very small crowd. They were not happy that they were going to be playing these games where they could easily sell out, you know, maybe a 13, 14,000-seater stadium instead they're playing you know, in front of less than 5,000, so that everyone's aware. And because I had to look into this, I was surprised by the range in capacity of stadium that they were using. Turns out all of the bidding process for this was done back in 2017. So this is before the, the Euros in Holland and before that World Cup in France that really grew the game and the perception of how well it could sell. I remember during the World Cup in France in 2019, it's just paying attention to the way the English were rallying behind their team. I mean, it, it was it was turning into a big event, and a lot of people mentioned this was a big change for us. So imagine how big of a deal it's going to be hosting the tournament. Yes, in 2017, most people didn't really think that you would be able to sell out Old Trafford. But since we have seen time and time and time again across the European women's game that crowds can show up and sell out massive stadiums. It's happened now at the New Camp multiple times. It happened at the Bernabeu. It also happened at the Wanda Metropolitano in Spain. They've had terrific, terrific attendances, and as well in England. Anytime they've been able to schedule matches at Wembley or the Emirates or Stamford Bridge, they've actually got massive crowds. So it, it's, it's going to pop off. It's going to be very exciting for everybody. I think that if they were able to redo the bidding process, maybe had they redone it in 2020, we would be do, seeing almost nothing but Premier League grounds hosting the games, and they would be full. So this is going to be great. Everyone should be very excited for it. Um, all the officials are women. 
except for VARs. The VARs, there's a contingent of men there, but for the, but what you will see in terms of officials is nothing but women as center referees and assistant referees, which is obviously very good. It's, I think, important if you, for a lot of young women who and girls who do officiate, you, you don't see that many people that do that job on television because the women's game just isn't televised as much. So this is going to be another great eye-opener for young girls that referee already. They're going to get to see these people out on the fields. Again, as a coach, this stuff matters to me. Maybe not so much to you as a casual fan. So maybe let's get to that kind of thing. Let's go through the groups. Group A, Zingland's group, and uh, they will be playing against Austria today in their opening match. Also in that group is Norway and Northern Ireland. So let's start with England. Look, this is a stacked team. Almost the entire squad plays in the Women's Super League in England, save for, I believe, Lucy Bronze, who just went to Barcelona. On top of that, you've got Lauren Hemp, who has exploded in recent times. Hopefully Fran Kirby's fit. She's an absolute genius. Millie Bright in the back. I always love like Chloe Kelly from uh, Man City as well, what she can do. But I, look, the the English have all of the talent necessary to win the competition. That's not really in question. And they are at home, so I have to say I put them as favorites because of that. On top of that, the key for them is Serena Wiegmann. She is the coach, and she tasted glory with her own home country in the Netherlands back in 2018 when they won the Euros. And I think one thing that... The, the, the English have always struggled with is sort of the pressure of big competitions. And I say this on the men's side, right? Because the women, they don't have enough of a track record to have proven whether they choke or not. They were actually excellent against the United States in the semifinals in 2019, only to be beaten very, very narrowly. So I think they're going to bring a lot of the experience that they took from that tournament. But Serena Wiegmann also will know how exactly to settle the group and have them deal with the pressure of being in front of their home crowd and how to use that more to their advantage. If they do, I can see them walking through some of the games in this tournament quite comfortably, and I can absolutely see them winning it. So she's going to be the key, in my opinion, between England going a long way in this competition, which they absolutely should be expected to do based on their quality, to actually taking over and possibly winning it. I I really do think because they're the hosts – if they can if they can use the crowd in their favor that there's very little that any team might be able to do to beat them especially getting over the line in tough moments so they play against austria um austria are a team that i don't know much about there's a few that i don't really know much about because the reality is some of their players don't play in leagues that i either pay attention to or leagues that you can pay attention to that are televised at all and and we'll get to a few of those as we go um nicole bila she seems to be the main heavy hitter. She plays for Hoffenheim in Germany. A lot of the squad actually do play in Germany, and some play at home in Austria. But for the most part, this is a group of players that are well-drilled. They play in a very strong league, and they're going to have something. They're going to be able to cause some problems. For England, it's really a question of go out and do the business, right? Now, I do think Austria could cause an upset, possibly, but... I also don't see them getting out of the group because Norway are the third team in this group. And I think that they are, hey, call them dark horses if you want. This is a team that 
has, I think, been a little underrated in recent years, and understandably so, because their best player has not been around. Ada Hagerberg, she was dominating everything in her early 20s, world player of the year, this, that, scoring all the goals, taking Lyon to Champions League finals. And then she decided to step back from the women's game for a bit and step back more than anything from the international scene, saying that she was she wanted to put pressure on Nor- the Norwegian Federation to do more for the women's game. Now, this isn't just pay. This had to do with things like training facilities, everything that that comes with being a professional footballer. That's, that's not just the money. She felt there was just a lack of investment there and a lack of attention. And so she boycotted playing for the team. And she was not at the World Cup in 2019 because of this. Which we all miss seeing her, of course. And Norway were deposed in, I believe, the quarterfinals by England. And they didn't seem to put up all that much of a fight. Why? They just didn't have this piece of the puzzle. On top of that, some of their other players have improved in time, gotten more experience, and gotten better. Just to name off a few, Maria Thoris Doder and Marin Mieldi. So these two, they play for Man United and Chelsea. This is a center-back pairing that can get you deep into a tournament. In midfield, they've got Ingrid Engen from Barcelona and Guro Reiten from Chelsea. These two very, very good quality young players who in the last World Cup, they didn't quite have the same level of clout at their clubs that they bring to the table now. And then up front, Carolyn Graham Hansen, who at Barcelona has been banging goals like crazy, but now she's got Ada Hagerberg by her side. This is going to be a very good team. I can see them winning the whole thing. But it just depends on who they match up against and how those teams really step up. If, if, the, if, the, if the heavy hitters like England, Spain, France, possibly the Netherlands, if they, and Sweden, if they really step up, Norway could struggle. But I can also see Norway beating absolutely anybody. And I'm very excited for Ada and her return. Northern Ireland. This is another one of those teams that, you know, I... I <laughs> I know nothing about, really. So I looked them up, and I thought what was really interesting, the, the, almost the whole team plays in the UK, but ha- about half the team plays in Northern Ireland. And then the teams that play in Eng- the players that play for teams in England, they're smaller teams. So almost this entire squad is semi-professional, which is kind of amazing. I, I, th- I think it's going to be really, really, really fascinating to see them come in and basically just try and make some noise. I mean... This is the thing. They're the lowest ranked team in the tournament. It's Northern Ireland. All they can do is make their fans back home proud if they show up, play with some personality, play with some guts, and hopefully grow the game back home. I mean, that is the role that they can play here, these women. And and hopefully they do. I really uh, – I'm pulling for Northern Ireland to show us something fun, right? Because th- there's no reason for them to sit, bunker down, and try and get nil-nils and one-nils. They may as well go out there, play with some personality, get beat, but show everyone something. And that's the beauty of the women's game at this point is these, these teams can come in with with nothing to lose and everything to gain if they are able to just capture the hearts and minds of the people back home. So hopefully Northern Ireland is able to do that. That would be really exciting. Group B. So a lot of people have this as the group of death. I agree. Denmark, Germany, Spain, and Finland. Uh, starting with Denmark. I'm a Chelsea fan, so I am a big fan of Denmark's captain, Pernilla Harder. She is outstanding. She's a terrific player, scores lots of goals, assists, total difference maker, impact player. She is a baller, but she's also a proper leader. 
And as the captain of this Danish team, I think she's going to have a massive role in keeping things together because they don't have as many weapons as Germany or Spain do. But Denmark are certainly good enough to beat Finland. And if they can cause some kind of, if they can get some points off of those other two heavy hitters, then there's a really good chance for them to go through. So I like Denmark. I do put them in third in the group, but they're also a team that has everything it takes to be able to cause an upset against Germany or against Spain. Moving on to Germany. It's hard to imagine that they would not be considered favorites. I mean, this is a team that won every single one of the women's Euros from, from 19, aside from 1993. From 89 to 2013, 93 is the only one they didn't win. They won eight out of nine tournaments. They were so dominant. This is the Bridget Prince era where, you know, good luck dealing with her. She was scoring goals like like there was no coming back. Um, so, look, Germany are very good. I think, again, as a Chelsea fan, one of the players that I, I was really excited to see is Melanie Loopholes. But I forgot she's pregnant. She's going to be having a baby, so she won't be playing in this tournament. So who's going to pick up the slack for Germany? Well, I've always liked Lena Magul, young, the young player. And Sarah Dabritz, who plays for PSG. And, of course, their captain, Alexandra Pop. She is crucial to everything. It's actually amazing. The German team, when you look at their squad, everyone plays in Germany. And it's really based in Bayern Munich, Eintracht Frankfurt, and the very impressive Wolfsburg. So Wolfsburg this season were the only team to actually beat Barcelona. They beat them in the Champions League in their second leg and actually really gave them a shake. Um, up until the final, when Lyon beat Barcelona, there, no one had no one had come close to the Catalan empire that's been built down there. And Wolfsburg were one of those teams, and 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 they're stacked with a lot of good German players. So I, I think the Germans are flying under the radar in the sense that they don't have any major stars that people are pointing to, and because they're missing a couple players that are important, everyone's kind of assuming, well, you know, maybe. Well, it also helps the Germans to be flying under the radar that Spain is in their group, and Spain have been talked about in glowing terms. I think most people believed that Spain was going to walk into this tournament and destroy everyone, and I'm not really sure why. I think a lot of that has to do with perception, and a lot of that perception comes from what Barcelona have done over the last three years. The way they have dominated the women's club game has been nothing short of stunning, and yes, They've done it with players from multiple different nationalities, but a large core of Spain's team plays for this Barcelona team or for the increasingly improving Real Madrid. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, for Spain? Also, the way they play, they keep the ball. They are very, very good in possession. And the question is, can they score goals? Well, when you have Jenny Hermoso and Alexia Puteas, you score goals. The problem is both of them are injured for this tournament. We just found out in the last couple of days that Alexia Puteas has done her ACL, and she's actually out for a while. It was a, a, She was maybe doubtful for the tournament, but now there's no chance. So how's this team going to score their goals? Well, look, they're, they're quality. This is a good team. This is not a team that is based in one or two good players that just do the damage. They play the game, and they play it well as a group. And so Spain are going to be difficult to deal with. The player that I would like to point everyone out to, and this and you know, this is not uh, an attacking player. This is a defender. This is Maria Pilar Leon. Um, she's the tattooed defender with the bleach blonde hair. She is 
one of the Barcelona players who I noticed her when they played against when Spain played against the United States in the 2019 World Cup in Reims. I was actually at that game uh, in that court, uh, that round of 16 match, and Spain impressed me. I'd never seen them play, and I I saw them in the group stage, but <clears throat> playing against the United States that's a whole different kettle of fish. And I have to say they were really good. They took the lead and could have won the match. And I remember thinking, man, this defender, Maria Leon, man, she is tough as nails. She's good in the air, which means she's good on set pieces. But she also is a presence in that back line. And I think that will go a long way for Spain. Being solid defensively will give them the ability to keep the ball, move it around, do what they need to do, and make the breaks where they need to. They'll score goals, they'll win games, but this group is going to be challenging for them, especially considering Denmark are coming in knowing that they've got a, you know, they're a little bit the underdogs, but they've got a they've got to step up. And Spain, they don't have their top two goal scorers, so they are wounded at the moment. I think this sets up this group of death to be just outstanding. Now, of course, you can't forget about the last team in this group, and that is Finland. They Look, they, they don't really have much of a chance, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that because I know a whole lot. Actually, I don't. But what I did see is the majority of their players, once again, they, they play scattered in different leagues. Some play in Finland, some play in Sweden, some play in Germany. But the, the opposition that they're going to be facing in this, they're going to have to be extremely pragmatic to, to get results. Again, I would say the same thing about them in Northern Ireland is go and play with some personality, score a couple goals, just just be exciting in some way. And again, you can capture the hearts and minds of the people back home, and that is what helps grow the sport. All right, Group C, Netherlands, Portugal, Sweden, and Switzerland. Now, I know the Netherlands just got smashed 5-1 to one by England a couple weeks ago, but I don't buy this whole thing that they are not good. Now, defensively, they were catastrophic against England. I think everyone was saying England were brilliant, but also the Dutch were bad, bad defensively. Uh, they were handing out goals like they were party favors, and it was uh, a little bizarre. So I expect them to be much better than that, and also for people who were looking at that result and saying England are clear, clear favorites – that's not what I would base it on. I'd say that game's more of a throwaway than anything else. And this is because, look, the, the Dutch goalkeeper, sorry, Van Vanendal, she was immense in the 2019 World Cup. Probably the reason they made the final, to be honest. And, and that was because they weren't really scoring all that many goals. Something that Vivian Miedema is going to have to do in this competition. And, I mean, she's done it plenty. So I would imagine she doesn't struggle too much. If she can get the service from Lika Martins, Sharita Spitza, and Danielle Vandedonk, if, if those three players in the midfield can really help tee up Vivian Miedema, who, by the way, has 94 goals in 111 appearances by the age of 25. That's insane. So if they can tee her up and she scores, the Dutch will be good. If they can be solid in defense, and I'm looking forward to seeing Anique Nguyen. She plays for uh, Chelsea as well. And, you know, seeing Van Veenendaal actually carry the team in the way that she did in the in the last World Cup. I, I think the Dutch are going to be good. The fact that they won the last Euros, part of that was because they were at home. They did reach the final of the 2019 World Cup. So this is an, uh, an era of players, a generation that has enough talent. 
but they have lost their inspirational coach to England. So we'll see how that goes. Sweden, a lot of people's favorites. And I understand because they they always seem to, they, they do very well when they play against top-level teams. They, they, were, they beat the United States in the Olympics. They came up short, just losing on penalties to Canada. But they've beaten the United States in past Olympics and, and, and have ruffled their feathers in World Cups. Everyone knows Sweden can be very good. But it, it, I'm not so convinced that they're clear favorites. Lena Black, uh, Stina Blackstenius is really good. Lena Hurtig also. Frida Lena Rolfo. These are players that you have to watch out for. Kosovari Aslani as well. They have what it takes to score goals, to be solid, to be good. I just I just don't know if I really would put them in the top two or three. There's some people who really have them at number one. It's going to be very interesting. I, I, they have a good style of play, but they're also dangerous from all different kinds of situations. They, they can score from open play, but they're very good from set pieces as well. So be very interesting. I, I, I do think Sweden and the Netherlands are going to exit this group pretty comfortably. And that is because they will be able to beat up on... Portugal, for one, and I don't think Switzerland are, have enough to really pose them problems. Switzerland, I mean, like I said, they're all right, but they, they don't. There's, there's not a whole lot of firepower, not a whole ton of top players. I'm going to tell you who to watch, though. It's Ramona Bachman. She's from. She plays at PSG. This is a quality player. If anything good is going to happen, it's going to need to come from her, from her play, from her leadership. She's, she's crucial, and and she's fun to watch. So I, I definitely would recommend keeping an eye out on her. As for Portugal, look, they're only here because Russia was not allowed to be. I don't need to explain why. Uh, they're an unknown entity, Portugal. Their entire team, aside from just two players, play in the Portuguese league, which was basically completely just amateur and, and, and semi-professional up until very recently. Um, a lot of the teams still are in that sense. So it, it, they're similar to Northern Ireland in that way. And once again, I will say the same thing. It's Go and capture the hearts and minds of your of the people. Do something amazing. Th- become a star as a player. This is the moment. If you score a fantastic goal, if you do, if you show a great deal of personality and 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 you know, I think for a lot of teams, it's that team unity. Show that and and, and a desire to be there, knowing you have nothing to lose. I think if you do that as a team. You're in good shape. And Portugal, this is the moment for a lot of their players to potentially get themselves transfers to bigger leagues and bigger clubs throughout throughout the continent. And, yeah, just make a name for themselves. So it, just another situation where I think the women's game, it, you don't see this as much with the men's game where a team comes in and they've got absolutely nothing to lose and they're just some unknown quantity that everyone's excited to see, sort of like Iceland was a few years ago. But that's not very common. In the in the women's game, you see these teams because these federations and these these countries they're growing the football sort of out so quickly right now, and that's what makes it really exciting. All right, Group D, final group: <clears throat> Belgium, France, Iceland, and Italy. The Belgium league continues to improve, continues to grow. More than half the squad plays there at home. The others scattered around Germany, France. Um, and I don't really know anything about this group in the same way that I don't know much about Iceland either. So it will be interesting to see how these two fare, especially against the Italians, because look, France are the clear favorites in this group. There's no question about that. Italy come in second, but 
Italy have really sort of re they've really built this current squad and the, and and this this current generation that they have only recently it's only Italy was a sort of a country that I never saw in World Cups or or anything. They they never really did much because the game was again it was just amateur. Women were weren't paid um, except at certain clubs, and and so it was it was difficult I think for for the Italians to really get going. But at the last World Cup, they showed a lot of people. No, we've got quality. We're building something here. Now we're getting better. Uh, the the thing about Italy is that they need to show that that's actually the the status that they've gotten to is one of these. Uh, tier two squads in tier two nations. Belgium might be a difficult game for them. Iceland will definitely be a difficult game. Iceland, Iceland will play with rigidity. They will be strong. They they will be organized as they tend to be. And Belgium, we'll see. Do do any players really pop up and show us something? I, I, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to keep to just to see how this group shakes out because I think it's the most unknown. And it's also the most unknown because France, despite being the team that should go and crush everybody, well, they're coming into the tournament kind of like a 20, 2010 men's French team. Um, for anyone that doesn't remember, the 2010 World Cup in South Africa is where the men, the French men, stayed on the bus, boycotted practice. Everything fell apart. They exited the group stage. The, the whole camp, it was just a bad mood. Everything was wrong. Largely because the coach was someone who had been around too long and needed to go. I'm not saying this about Corinne Diak, but there are a lot of people who do believe that she is the main issue. Some major players from the last few years are not even in the squad. Eugénie de Sommer, Amandine Henry, these are top-level players who have not been picked to come. It's not because they're injured. It's not because they're out of form. It's because... They've had disagreements with the coach, and quite a few players have, as well as disagreements with each other. So the French are coming into this, they're not in a good place as a team. And that should pretty much keep you from being able to win a tournament like this. But also, it's the kind of thing that can get you into situations where you don't play well in your first game, you don't play well in your second, all of a sudden you're out of the tournament, and you were one of the favorites. So France are stacked to the ceiling with talent. There's so many good players. The problem is, is the unit actually going to function and work? And are they going to be good enough if they get into tough situations, if they get into difficult games where they have to suffer? Are they going to be able to come out on top? Look, I'm a France fan. I really don't think so. I have to say, after all the, that I looked at, everything that I've read, and all the football that I've watched and seen over the last few years, I really do think England are the favorites. But... And that's, like I said, because they're at home, I think Spain are a little, are, are hamstrung a little bit with their injuries. Germany are a team that everyone's sleeping on, I believe. I think Sweden are just a little bit too, um, I think people are a little bit too ramped up about Sweden's possibilities. But hey, that's why this is going to be great. We have no idea what's going to happen. Look, I'll be watching every game. The first one actually is just starting, so I've got to get to that. Um... And I hope to interview some people along the way, some fans, some people who work in the women's game. We just want to make this a little bit of a football bonanza for July and really enjoy it. The crowds are going to be incredible. The quality of the football is going to be really, really good. And all of the passion surrounding this, it's going to continue to grow the women's game in a big way. I'm stoked. I hope all of you are. We'll catch up with you soon.
This is Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North.